Hey everybody, Connor and Dylan. We've got double the drama this week. We're bringing you a bonus episode to fill your feed on this fabulous fall Friday. Ooh, I love all the alliteration that you just used. This is completely off script, but Connor and I just wanted to pop in because you're obviously mostly used to seeing us on Wednesdays. But like Connor said, we have double the drama. We just really wanted to share this bonus episode because, you know, we've had a busy kickoff to fall. That's so true. And you're going to absolutely love David, our guest. Yes. If you don't know him yet, yet, get ready. He is so fucking fun. And this episode is a damn delight. I'm cursing because I'm that excited. No, I was going to say, we need like a, a, a warning on this. Can I curse on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Says everyone who's ever been on a podcast they haven't previously listened to. <laughs> Anyways, something else that's gaggy about David is he dates the breakout star of Into the Woods, Kennedy Kanagawa, who plays Milky White. Amongst and, other. And we get all into it. And we absolutely loved David. You are going to as well. If you love it, if you love the bonus episodes, I mean, it takes time to edit. It takes time to appear, you know, twice a week and put it all together. We'd love it if you supported our Patreon. Oh, I didn't even know you were going to plug with it. I, I didn't I, know you were going plug. I decided to plug. <laughs> well, for $5 a month at patreon.com slash the drama podcast, you get access to extra episodes. So it's like having a bonus episode every other week, really. Yeah. And you also get access to our close friends on Instagram where we post our sizzling hot takes and it's so fun. And we appreciate the support because that's what allows us to keep doing the pod. Absolutely. We'll enjoy David. A little precursor to our episode with his boyfriend, Kennedy, that will be coming out next week. Yes, a treat to the listeners who, who join us on a Friday. You know it's coming next Wednesday. That's right. All right. Well, let's get on with the show. <laughs> Press play. Curtain up an hour in. It's time to take spin the shade and tea to spill. Ooh, Ooh drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. 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 Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I am Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, the vibes are fun tonight. The vibes are so fun. To quote mm-hmm. Lisa Rinna to Erica Jane during season 11 of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills when she was in the throes of all her troubles and Erica was being funny one time during the whole season, Rinna said, you're fun tonight. And that's mm-hmm. how I feel about you, Dylan. You're being fun. Also, the light on me, it's getting angelic it reminds me of one time we were recording at sunset and this is before we invested in ring lights and at the beginning of the chat with larry owens i believe it was it was fully sunshiny and then by the end you were shrouded in shadows it was hilarious (laughs) right right right. it was that interview was hilarious for many reasons but it was, it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. But also I have to tell you, I'm feeling crazy because I had a cavity filled like an like an hour and a half ago at this point, And half it still hasn't unnumbed. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, it's weird because I can't stop touching my face. And it feels, does it feel like on tingly? It, it does. But you know what's so weird? They did like the Novocaine and they numb me up and everything. And then they started to, I don't even know the expression for fixing the cavity, drilling the cavity. But I it, I could really, I could feel it. It was sensitive and like, it was weird. And I was like, wait, it, it kind of Do they tingles. do anything and other they than said, put something in there? They they drill it out and then they fill it. Okay. But anyway, they told me, they were like, oh, we're going to we're gonna do more Novocaine. Red, redheads always need more. Oh, wow. And I said, what are you talking about? They were like, every single redhead needs a double dose of Novocaine it, because we're like sensitive. Mm. Isn't that redheads weird? Redheads need more. I was like, I've never heard this, but the doctor and nurse were like, 
Redheads do need need warmth. Yeah. Listen, do you remember that time we got back from our first semester of college and we went to our first dentist appointment back and we went to one of those like chain dentist's office. Like, I want to say it was like a dental works, but I don't want to dox any companies on air. And they, t- they, <laughs> were, they told you and I separately that we each had a dozen cavities. Yeah. And we yeah, were like, and that's why I have so many fillings. We were like, what? And then we later learned that they were just, they spotted like preemptive things and they were just trying to make a bunch of money off of us. They were. Cause every time I go to the dentist and they do x-rays, they look at, they're like, these are really shallow fillings. They're like, what is this? Sick. And they're like, I probably would have waited. Sick, sick, sick. I know. They thought so college anyway, Dylan, our, our mouths. It did. <laughs> I'm really excited for this chat because the vibes are already great. Like super I said, fun. you're fun tonight. Super fun. Our guest is super fun. This is a rescheduled interview because famously my laptop died the day before our first interview was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And they believed me. Yeah. They believe women. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, Dylan... Bring in our yes, guest. This is a very special episode. Our guest today is the host, creator, and director of the Lip Sync Fables, a web series written by truly adorable children that bring iconic bedtime stories to life by New York City-based actors, comedians, and Broadway veterans, including Kennedy Kanagawa, JJ Neiman, Catherine Cohen, Joshua Morgan, and many more. Our multi-talented guest is a New York-based actor and producer himself, hailing from Houston, Texas. Y'all, you might know his talents from Madam Secretary, The Good Fight, and John Glazer Loves Gear. He's performed at the Duke Theater, Soho Playhouse, Eugene O'Neill, Shakespeare and Company, Luna Stages, 14th Street, Y, while producing and performing in shows at Workshop Theater and Royal Family Productions. He can be seen in the upcoming feature film Till, and is also currently starring in Measure for Measure as Angela with Shakespeare and Co. His talent knows no bounds, and we are psyched to have him on the pod. Please welcome to drama, David Gow! Ugh, what a horrible introduction. Ugh, I hated that. You gave me most of it, so I really don't know. <laughs> I did. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here. I'm big fans of this podcast and of both of you. You're very entertaining. Oh, my Thank goodness. You. Thank you. Uh, well, needed, we needed to hear that this week. Compliment so us more. You. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> David, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm so glad that we're doing this. I, I feel like I just experienced your entire series as I binged the Lip Sync Fables over the last couple of weeks. It's a quick binge, right? Yeah, six episodes. They're short. You can knock it out in one sitting. It's giving Quibi. Yes, yes, very that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wait, before we jump into that, I do want to, you know, there's an elephant in the room and Uh-oh. I need to I need to understand how you found us. I could be wrong, but I think I found you guys because I've just sort of like become the Into the Woods groupie because of Kennedy Kanagawa. Mm-hmm. And you were talking with my favorites, Jason and Julia. Yeah. Yes. We're the most delightful human beings on the planet. Absolutely. Truly. So I was listening to your interview with Jason and I was like, ooh, these are my people. I need to hit them up. That interview was dynamic as hell. We talked about a lot of things, including Drag Race, which we'll get into. I mean, that's the real reason I contacted (laughs) you because I was like, oh, they talk Drag Race? Like, y'all know your stuff. So like, I'm coming on this. Consider myself to be the (laughs) foremost historian of Columbus, Ohio, which is where I'm located. Okay, I'll take any demographic you don't want because I'm like a rain rain man with this stuff. Seriously. You know what I'm bad with? I know all the statistics. I can't do like, like if you hear a song in public and you're like, oh, they lip synced this in season eight, Bob versus whoever. Like I'm, I'm not good with that. Oh, I'm fantastic at that. I was literally like, I think I was at like Uptown Garrison with Kennedy and- into you by Ariana Grande came on and I was like, oh yeah, this all stress for episode two, Monet vs. Yes. Valentina, her redemption. 
And he's like, you like, <laughs> he's like, that's not like, that doesn't make you look cool. That makes you look like weird. You need to stop doing that. No, you, I'm like, you're <laughs> my people. I, I love that. I love also that it's all stars for, I feel like, I feel like some people are like really good, like seasons four through seven. And then they like kind mm-hmm. of don't necessarily have as deep of a wealth from like eight onwards, or especially the later all-stars. Like everyone knows shut up and drive all-stars too. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's certain sure, things Sure, like sure, that. sure, sure. I want to do like a TED talk where I talk about the evolution of drag race. Like, I mean, I'm not going to do it now, but my little teaser here, if anyone wants to, you know, produce this TED talk is like the first three seasons were its own thing. And then four through six, it was its prime. Mm-hmm. And then seven, eight, we got more into the Instagram world. Then nine is when lip sync for the crown, which I hope we can get into that yeah. later. Anyway, I just want to dissect like the evolution of Drag Race as a show. Your pitch just now was so concise and so lived in. I believe you for this TED Talk, but also the detail. I've said it out loud to myself in the shower. <laughs> times. I've practiced it many times. The, the detail that you and Kennedy were at Uptown Garrison, which is like truly the actor spot Uptown. It's the best. It, when when you walk in and you see Lynn Manuel Miranda in the corner and you no one is doing anything, everyone's just acting like it's Joe Blow. That's when you know, like, oh, this is the spot wow. for actors. Also, you casually mentioned Kennedy, who you're obviously dating. He might have yes. appeared on the pod already, or he's going to be appearing on the pod. It'll it'll <laughs> depend on when this all drops. We're not sure of the order yes. that these will be released in, but he may or may not be chatting with y'all right. tomorrow. So, so it makes sense to release. I get a preemptive strike. We'll just see. It would. It would make sense. It we'll would. See. It would. Okay. Wait. I have a lot of questions about Kennedy. I have a lot of questions about mm-hmm. about if you're seeing the next Into the Woods cast. But but we can we can get into this soon. We can get into this soon because before we like to check in with our guests, get a little temperature mm-hmm. gauge here. David, are you well? I'm so well. I'm currently in my dressing room. Well, it's actually the Leeds dressing room. She has better Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> but she doesn't know I'm here. So I'm here um, and I'm doing um, I'm doing measure for measure right now uh, up in the Berkshires. And I'm playing Angelo, which if you all don't know the play, is so juicy. Such a horrible person. It's so much fun. So I'm great. And also like the Berkshires in the summer, it's like a dream and it's not too far where I can go back to New York in my off days. So I'm great. I'm living my best life. Is oh, this like Barrington oh. stage adjacent? Very close. So okay. it's it's like I'm five minutes away from Berkshire Theater Festival. I'm 10 minutes away from Barrington stage. And then I'm like 30, 40 minutes from Williamstown. So there's and I'm like Tanglewood's here in Jacob's Pillow. So there's so much art happening here. It's incredible. It's such a good summer job. Okay, so and Measure for Measure is a Shakespeare. Yes. That's one of the ones that I'm honestly not familiar with at all. Okay, I can give you like a 25-second synopsis. You're good, with, I, you're good with succinct synopsises. Well, I'm saying that number for myself because I'm such a theater nerd. I'll make this, I'll tell you the whole plot. So I'll try <laughs> okay. to be quick. The person in power leaves because he's been like a good cop, basically, and like everyone's doing whatever they want. He's like, oof, I need to put someone in power who's like a bad cop. So he puts me in power and I start like honoring all the laws that he's been ignoring. One of them being, you can't have sex before marriage. And I'm like, yeah, that's a law and we're going to honor it. So if you have sex before marriage, you're put to death. So this guy, Claudio has gotten his fiance pregnant. So I'm like, yeah, you're going to be put to death. So he's going to die tomorrow. And so he begs his sister who is becoming a nun to like go to me and be like, please don't let this happen. So she comes and she's brilliant. And we're arguing about it. And as we argue, I fall in love with her. Well, I don't, I shouldn't say fall in love. I want to have sex with her. And Uh so I say to her, 
like, hey, I'll let your brother live if you have sex with me. And she's like, I'm the literal nun. And I'm like, it's so juicy. It sounds it's so good. It sounds incredible. Like, why has this not been turned into like a Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, modern day adaptation yet? Well, first of all, yes, it should. I hadn't thought about that spin on it. It's considered like one of the Shakespeare problem plays because mm. you know how like in Shakespeare comedies end in three marriages and tragedies end with like everybody dying. Mm-hmm. And this play is like, very very dark and like i almost rape her in my office and it's very dark but then at the end it's like everyone gets married because it's still like in shakespeare's comedy face so it's problematic in that way so like i don't think it's a perfect play but the parts that are good like my scene with her and then when she goes to the prison to tell her brother what i said and he's begging his sister to have sex with me to save me those two scenes are like as good as anything he ever wrote it's so good this sounds good so the nun is the lead, the female lead. Yes, and I think she's the best female character he ever wrote. Uh, she's wow. epic. She goes better than okay, Lady M. I think. Okay, last thing that I promise we can talk about other things. But she, <laughs> she, like, let me give you my pitch on Isabella. She's getting a tour of the nunnery, about to go take vows of silence, like with a nun. When there's like a man's voice and a, the other nun's like, you have to answer the door. Like I already took a vow of silence. I can't talk to him. And she finds out about her brother and she's like, okay, before I take a vow of silence to men forever, let me go talk to this guy. And so then she goes on this epic hero's journey where she realizes the power of her voice instead of surrendering it. And she like saves the the day. It's incredible. She's unbelievable. Whoa. Oh my God. I'm so old. Yeah, it's really good. I am curious. Do you understand the Ring of Keys scenario of a uh, moment that might have introduced you to the arts in some way? And I understand it, and I deeply appreciate the name for that. I think it's incredible. That show got so me much. together. I love that show. That Tony's performance, she stole the whole night. I'm forgetting her name, but she's incredible. Sydney um, Lucas. Yes, incredible. Big Slay. Big Slay. Big Slay. <laughs> um, okay. Mine for acting was, I was six years old and they were doing this professional production of Winnie the Pooh. And Rue was a child actress named Audie Thornton, who's now like very successful. She's on um, This Is Us, great actress. Um, And she, she had done all these movies as a kid and her mom was randomly like the Spanish teacher at my school. So the director came and they're like, we need like an anonymous blonde kid to be Christopher Robin. Who do you got? So she like went to the first grade and she pulled like four of us who had never done anything. And they like had sides, which I didn't like know what that was. I was just reading stage directions, whatever. Somehow I got it. And then it was over. I was obsessed. I It was like a three month contract where I was just sitting on the sideline watching adults. And I was like off book for every single role. And I was in heaven. And then, like, my family didn't really do the arts. We're very much Friday Night Lights vibes. Like, because you're from Texas. Because I'm from Texas. And, like, we have like a football dynasty at my school. So, like, my dad, my older brother, and two of my younger brothers all were the quarterback, wore number 10, and played college football. Like, the youngest one's the quarterback at University of Chicago. It's like, wild. Literally a dynasty. It was an actual dynasty. Yeah. And so like, I like was quickly told not like directly, but just by society and my family, like, okay, you were Christopher Robin, but like, we're going to do sports. But then like, fast forward, like 12 years, like right before I'm going to college, I was like, Oh, I still, I don't know. The the Christopher Robin experience just like hung over me. Oh, if we want to do a Winnie the Pooh metaphor, like a a dark rain cloud, if you, if we will, like kind of was with me. 
I always thought like, oh, in like another life, I'll be acting or like, oh, one day I'll go back to the Winnie the Pooh days. I don't know. Like, I just loved it. And then eventually I did. And it was like a cloud had been lifted. And I was like, of course, this is what I was supposed to be doing. I just put off the inevitable. In a weird way, I actually am kind of grateful for that because I think I've watched a lot of my musical theater friends with acting have to sort of unlearn bad habits that they picked up doing musical theater as, you know, middle school, high school, whatever. And so it was sort of nice of like, then when I did come back to acting, I didn't have any reference except that I was like, I'm just like observing on stage when I believe someone's telling the truth. And how do I do that? Like, I, I want to be like a truth teller on stage. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's really insightful. You've obviously recently worked with kids and, you know, there's that Vanessa Bayer character on SNL, that young boy who's like a Broadway star. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes. And I he's, love He's very much. Yeah, <laughs> I love <laughs> And it's like, you know, the acting kid, they kind of talk like this and they're like very like professional all the time. And yes, there are certain things that kids pick up. And I think one of them had that of the of the kids you you chatted with. I know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you have these actual lived experiences that maybe you wouldn't have had if you were always in rehearsal or always busy and you had maybe more of a normal Texas childhood. Totally. That's a hundred percent right. And so then I originally went to Pepperdine for two years and then I transferred to North Carolina School of the Arts, which is an acting conservatory. You mean the so Zoe the 101? Time, you you went to the Zoe 101 school. I love that if that whole sentence I just said, that was what y'all pulled from. <laughs> like no, but like a hundred percent, that's where I went. And also that that also like you saying that, I'm like, oh yeah, we're from the same generation. Oh yes. Because yes. so many people don't even know what that show was. But like, yeah, they were filming it while I was there. Like they Stop. a little bit, but that was like the campus. That's so cool. Wait, what a beautiful okay, campus. Wait, there's other it notable was, yeah. alums from Pepperdine. Chase Crawford did like a year or two there. Chase Crawford of Gossip Girl, um, the, boys. the boys, the boys. Okay. He went there for like I think at least a year. I just listened to him on an, another podcast, um, Rachel Bilson's new podcast. And um, Connor, why are you bringing up other podcasts on ours? I know. It's <laughs> I know. I'm being generous actually. Don't, because don't plug r- your rivals. I know. <laughs> Rachel Bilson's definitely our rival, David. She is. Well, I was listening to her podcast and I was kind of like wait she's she's me i am rachel Wilson. like there were so many similarities i know i'm a psychopath um she has virgos well the other random this is a deep deep poll but someone who went to pepperdine married my friend allegra edwards it is the actor on lizzie mcguire who played ethan the dumb guy with the yeah, good hair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was there ethan craft I've, i don't remember his real name i haven't met him in real life but i knew of him he was like the water polo star in pepper that tracks and he um, i know that he did age well <laughs> because i remember when they were re- gonna reboot lizzie he was people were like we need to bring in ethan craft and people were showing like new photos of him and he looks the same but like still gorgeous and hunky and he looks great. And then his wife, Allegra, is like killing it. She's on so many TV shows. It sounds, but... The name sounds really familiar. Yeah, they're a little power couple. That's awesome. We like them. So wait, did, really quick about Pepperdine. Did you find that it was like, because it's very conservative, right? Like a very religious-based school. Okay, so I like did general admission to like 13 colleges. I wasn't going to act. And then like summer before college, I was like, let me try acting. Why not? And then I did. And it was like over. I was a full one acting junkie. I was like, I have to have to do this. So you hadn't acted since Christopher Robin. It's so sad. I did like, I was the person who like was doing sports in high school, but then like would do shows like outside of high school and not tell any of my friends. I'd be like, Oh, I have a family thing, but really I'd be like opening a show because like I hadn't experienced my friends found out that I was like Harold Hill and they all came like with binoculars and signs and like, 
kind of ruined it for me. And I was like, okay, I'm not telling anybody any- again. So I did do uh, shows just like closeted. You were living a literal double life. In multiple was, ways. Yeah. And it got to the point where like one time, like my house was very much just like the hangout house. So one time I got home from a rehearsal where, of course, I was like South Pacific and I was playing like the old Captain Bracket. So I had like <laughs> old age makeup and white hair. And I come home and like nine of my friends are just in the kitchen and they were like, yeah, you want to explain yourself? Like, what have you been doing? Like, I was caught red-handed. I'm like, what am I? What am I going to say? Because your friends all knew your brothers, and it was like a big. Okay. Yeah, we were like the hangout house. Yeah, we were all friends with each other's. So that's so um, fun. What a cool childhood. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm one of five, so like we always had people around. Anyway, so I I had done some, but then like I really that summer before college, I did some. I was like, this is happening. I want to do it. And so then I was like the obnoxious person who emailed the head of the theater department at Pepperdine on a Friday when school started on Monday being like, I want to audition for your theater department when like they had done it like <laughs> nine months in advance. But she's like, okay, I'm like available in two hours if you can get here. So then I'm like, I've just gotten there. So I'm running around campus asking people where the library is so I can find a play to memorize a monologue to do this audition. And like, I'm calling my old director being like, do I give her the audition or the the monologue when I'm doing it so she can see if I'm doing it right? And they're like, no, like I knew nothing. So in that sense, to answer your question about Pepperdine, it, it was a good starter kit for me because I, I was sort of green. And I'd also come from such a conservative background that, you know, a dry campus Christian school wasn't like, what is this? Like, it sort of was the logical progression from like young life, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. So after Pepperdine, I was like, it's a great liberal arts school, but like, I'm addicted to acting. I want like the full 12 hour day of just acting classes. So that's when I transferred into like a 180 of like, not a conservative, not a Christian school where we were, you know, rolling around in the ground in all black clothes as our uniform every day. It was like the antithesis of Pepperdine. <laughs> Which and I, I was like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. I loved it. And wow. It's an amazing school. Did your family support your foray into acting? I think when I when I was getting the degree at Pepperdine, it was a little bit of like, okay, we'll see how long this sticks. Or maybe he'll get, you know, this will help him with skills for a different profession, like radio or mm-hmm. whatever. And then I think once I got into North Carolina, they're like, oh, okay, this is happening. They were all supportive. It was just a learning curve of like, it was such a new world for all of us. But now they love it. It also helps like, you know, when they're going to Broadway shows into the woods and like getting to go like hang out with the cast, you know? Yeah. So now like they love it. Now like I'm the most interesting kid. Yeah. Are there any of your brothers artsy or are they, did they all? No. But is one of them an author? Yes. One of them. Because I in the episode, there was someone with your same last name. Yes, that's my older brother who, it's funny, he wouldn't identify as an author. He's sort of like in the business world, like entrepreneurs starts up all these other jobs, but he also has like insomnia. And so when he's insomnia, he writes like children's poetry that are brilliant. And then he publishes books that are legitimately really, really good. That's so cool. But that's sort of the only form of like another sibling getting involved in the arts, I'd say. Now I have to ask. Yeah. Is is it at North Carolina where you met Billy Cohen or Catherine Cohen? No. So I they're both from Houston. My dad and their mom grew up on the same street and actually a scandal. They were each other's first kiss. Oh. Then, I know. I know. And then I went to high school with both of them. And Catherine was my age, but Billy was my doubles partner on the tennis team. So I like oh, grew fun. up with the Cohen family. And they've also sort of become 
Billy's in the more theater route and Catherine's in the comedy route. They're amazing. I mean, if you want to see like a masterclass in comedy, Wednesday nights, go to Club Coming. Even like her material's great, but to be in a room and just watch her riff on whatever's happening, she's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she is one of the funniest people ever, I think, seriously. Yeah, we used to go to those Cabernet cabarets and we've seen some of her solo, her one, the show that's on Netflix. Like we saw that at Joe's before. Do you guys listen to her podcast? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Fantastic. So not that we're funny. plugging podcasts. I know, not that we're plugging really another podcast here, but <laughs> no, that, and that one's so different from ours that it's never, it's never, Wait, yeah. our competition. The twist, she's gorgeous. That is so funny. That whole show. It's incredible. Yeah. So she was always funny, always funny. And she would do like, I don't know. I think she introduced me to Summer Heights High because her oh, yeah. Jamae impersonation was spot on. And then I think, so their whole family went to Princeton. And then I think, from there, she moved to New York. She was like, let me try stand-up and just... She, I mean, she really paid her dues. I When I first got here, I would see... It's actually cool now because I would go to like her do a show at some random small house. And it was like her, Matt Rogers, Bowen mm-hmm. Yang, before anyone knew what any of them were. And they were as brilliant then as they are now. And I was just like, how are these people not on SNL? And then she messaged a few people... And she was like, hey, I'm doing sort of an unofficial SNL audition. It's like a lineup of 10 comedians and they're going to be in the audience. And it was at, what's the improv place in Chelsea? I don't know if it's still around anymore. Uh, Was it UCB Chelsea? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Anyway, so then we went and it was like laugh a lot because like we need to, I think we need to look good. And like we were there and in the back row is a bunch of people with like notepads. Wow. And And Bowen did it. And I think he was on the show shortly after. But she's always, I've never seen her not be funny. Anything she does is hilarious. She's so funny. Oh, yeah. And like on yeah, my web so series, cool. I didn't give her anything. I was just like, hey, you're going to be a fox come in orange. And then she it was brilliant. She's so funny. Yeah. We need to talk about the web series. We Thank you for indulging to. us about Kat because Connor and I are obviously fans. But love, love, love. The web series. So all the episodes are out now. Yes. I'm hoping to do a season two. But yes, all the things that we've done are out. Oh my God. Well, okay. Well, tell us everything about it because I think that the listener, there's a lot of overlaying themes and interest areas that I think people would really connect with. Okay. So it's called the lip sync fables. It's on YouTube. The fastest way to characterize it is it's like drunk history. We keep asking you to explain things today. We're like, give us a summary (laughs) of like Shakespeare. You're you're asking like an actor to talk a lot. Like I'm good. I'm living my best life doing this. (laughs) (laughs) This was the easiest conceit for a podcast. Have an actor talk about it. They're like, put a quarter in me and then like, you'll get nine hours of material, good or bad. So it's called The Lip Sync Fables. It's on YouTube. It's in the format of Drunk History. If you haven't watched Drunk History, the idea of Drunk History is they get a historian or an expert on a topic. They get them legitimately drunk. And then they have them explain it. So like, so Harriet Tubman is like, you're not going to do that, whatever. And then whatever they say, that is their script, the text. And then they film that and bring it to life with actors dressed up in the costumes, acting out the story and lip syncing the dialogue of like the sword words. So I actually, I was here at Shakespeare and Company like four years ago and they were doing a new play festival. And this five-year-old girl wrote a play, I think it was called like The Princess and the Tiger. And they had all of the company members who were like brilliant Shakespeare trained actors who have been here for 30 years, act out her story and bring it to life. <laughs> And it was hilarious. But then also I was like, am I the only one crying? Like, this is so moving to see actors like empower kids stories. So then I was like, okay, what if I take those two and and put them together? So then my show 
is I sat down with a bunch of kids and I said, bring an original bedtime story. It can be about anything you want. And they read it to me. And I would say to them when we were filming it, I was like, okay, you're going to read it once and I won't say anything and then read it a second time. And I'm not going to ask you a bunch of annoying questions. So then but, I wondered about that. Yeah. And so because of their age and the content of the story and their delivery, the material is hilarious. So then I filmed all of it with kids in Houston. And then I came to New York and I picked six to start. And I brought their stories to life where I had actors dress up like them, act the stories and lip sync the kids when they did the dialogue. The people that agreed to do it, it's such an embarrassment of, and it's nice because, you know, I've produced theater in the past, which is actually how I met Kennedy. But we, you know, it's a hard ask to say to someone, can you come do like a seven week commitment versus saying, Catherine Cohen, can you come for two hours to lip sync this? You know, like, so I got a lot of people who I've always wanted to work with, but I couldn't necessarily put them in other projects. And we had a blast. You know, Maya Abney, who's a literal soldier in the Black Panther movies, like one of the shaved head quarter staff, like badass fighters, who I did a play with at 14th Street Y. It says that the, the bears do dance fighting. Can you come and bring your quarter staff? And she's like, yeah. And like, it's just incredible. I love so that. It one. was so much fun. It was so much fun to film. That little boy who wrote that one about dance wrestling, you guys had a great rapport. And he came dressed in a suit like he was yeah. my dad. It was too much. <laughs> was he memorized? He was so the cute. only kid off book. Okay. Which I thought there was a great variety too of the deliveries. You know, there was the yes. duo. There were some who had it in front of them. And some of them did not appreciate my questions and would get really mad at me. And I think those are my favorites when they're yeah, like, they're maybe funny. if you would listen more, you wouldn't have so many. Qu I'm like, okay. You were so good with the kids, David. It was so cute. Like watching you, your chemistry with all of them. It was so fun to watch. Do you love kids? Yes. My go-to survival job is babysitting. I'm one of five, but the... I'm the second oldest, so I always had kids around. Like, I, if there's a kid in the room, I'm not talking to you. Like, I love babies and kids. That's so fun. this came, like, very easy to me. And so you you had six episodes. There's hope for more. What are you most proud of with this whole, this whole situation? I think I'm most proud that it's really good quality and we didn't spend, like, any money. I mean, I paid out of pocket over the course of a year and a half a little over $2,000 to get this done. That's it? Which, yeah, it was wow. wild. I got really lucky that I have a cousin named Jack Brame in Houston who filmed all of the kid stuff for free. Oh, nice. Because we sort of have like, I'll do his short film, he'll do my project, I'll do his feature film. Like, it's amazing. Like, it's, it's such a good artist collaboration. So I did all of that for free. And then I came to New York and I hired a DP who had an amazing camera and I was like, I'll pay you a stipend for the day. And then I filmed two episodes in a day. So oh, then cool. we filmed the whole thing in three days. And then I made Kennedy edit the whole thing for free. Nice. So there you go. <laughs> and the editing is fantastic. And that was probably a project. He's so good. I had to buy him a lot of free dinners. There you it go. was a lot of work. <laughs> so, well, I'm so curious about how you guys met. I mean, you said, were you producing a show that he was in? Yeah, so I was producing, oh, this is going to be full circle to Billy Cohen. So I was producing a show called Decky Does a Bronco that I found at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival like seven years before, and I was obsessed with it. And I was like, I have to do this, and it's never been done in the States. Like, we have to make this happen. So in 2019, I like put the whole team together. I got a space. I got a director. I, we held auditions. We got all the designers. It happened. And then actually, I was here in the Berkshires doing a, the Waverly Gallery. 
Oh, and my friend Billy Cohen, who I cast in the show, he was he booked another show and he's like, I can't do it. So I was like, and I'd already left town. Like, how are we gonna do auditions? So I emailed all these directors and I was like, Do you have actors you'd recommend to me? And this director, Stephen Kopp, sent a list of people, and at the top of it, like Kennedy's name was in all caps, like start with him. And Kennedy taped for it and he was great. He also like, I don't know if you'll know this, Kennedy's like the best singer in New York. His voice is unbelievable. Um, had no idea. I did not, no. no idea. No, it drives me crazy because nobody knows because everyone's like, he's such a good puppeteer. And I want to break something and be like, you have to hear him sing. Like no one can sing like Kennedy. <laughs> he's going to be so mad I just said this. Um, <laughs> but so part of the audition, he had everyone had to do like a folk song and he sang Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell. And I was like, we're hiring him. This is so good. And so then like we we just were like best friends during the show and then pandemic happened and we both had COVID like towards the beginning and we started hanging out like every day during the pandemic and I wore him down. You found so. love in a hopeless place. <laughs> in a hopeless place. Wow, that's yeah. so that's so cool. I always love when relationships start out as friendships too. Yeah, I mean, we were friends for a long time beforehand. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Do you guys have a dream project to work on together? Oh my gosh. Um... That is such a good question. We talk about it a lot. We've actually been lucky. We've worked together a good amount, which is interesting because we're such different performers. Like I'm not a musical theater person at all. This is sort of a generic answer, but do you, so James Ortiz is the guy who made the puppet of Milky White. Mm -hmm. And he also, he did like the woolly mammoth and the dinosaur at Skin of Our Teeth at Lincoln Center. Like he's a full blown genius. He's unbelievable. And he and his friends did a production of a show called The Woodsman in like 2016. I remember when that happened. Yeah. Okay. So I watched it on Broadway HD. It's like the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. Their puppetry work and movement is so good. So I think Kennedy was just talking about this. I think we want to find a play where it allows itself for that kind of Oh, cool. artistry and just sort of like bring all of our crew together. So I don't know what yet, but we'd want to do something like that. Gotta go back to Edinburgh. You'll find something there. It'll be the most oh full gosh. circle thing ever. Have you guys been there? No. no, but I keep hearing it's just the, the best. It's like, it's it's the most magical theater atmosphere ever. It's like 3,000 shows and everyone's in the street busking and like promoting their show and singing. And it's like the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. That sounds so fun. Connor and I are dying to go to Europe. So maybe it'll be for something like that. I know. Um, I do think we should start wrapping up because there are some things I want to get into. We have to get, mm -hmm. we're going to get into the doses of drama today. Moving on to our titular segment, Dose of Drama, where we share the drama on our hearts or in our minds. And drama is everything you can imagine in life. So this segment could truly be about anything you could ever imagine. Dylan, would you like to kick it off today with a little dose of drama? I'm still obsessed with Beyonce's album. Have I said this before, Connor, on one of our episodes? I don't think so. We might, I might have said it on like a recording. It's worth it repeating. <laughs> it's worth repeating. It is so worth repeating. This album, I just can't stop listening to it. And I only listen to it in order, which I think that's probably crazy of me. I am so obsessed with it. And it, it needs to be her first album of the year, which is, it's sinful. She's never gotten an album of the year. But the Grammys <gasps> she to hasn't? me mean She hasn't. Never. Can you believe that's that? That's such a joke. Lemonade that's lost to Adele's 25, which I will say is one of my favorite albums. And, remember, and Adele gave her a shout out, right? She yeah, she yeah. did. Adele knew. She, she, knew. Knew. she knew. She knew. The Grammys to me mean truly the least out of any awards show because how do you truly pick the only music? You know, there are thousands of albums and songs released every year, but yeah. 
anyways. But they have so many categories though. Like they really do break them down. They do, they do. But you're right. But in terms of like getting all the way to like the best album of the year, it's like how? Right, right. You know, my girl is Taylor Swift. But she's she's won it a couple times, right? She has. I believe, I believe like three or four. Oh, excuse Three me. Three times. She won for Fearless, she won for 1989, and she won for Folklore. Okay, but how do you feel that she's won three and Beyonce's won zero? That's why. It, it doesn't make it doesn't sense. sense. Lemonade was so amazing. That had a, such a grip on me in 2016. It should have won in the Emmy, too. It was yes. nominated for that and lost. It lost to James Corden's Carpool Karaoke. No, it did not. I believe, I, I believe that's did. what happened. It did. I think that was maybe like the that joke. Was, maybe that was her homecoming. Oh, okay, you're right. It was homecoming that lost to Carpool Karaoke, but still... Either way, that's a hate crime. That <laughs> sentence that you just said that she lost to him for Corporal Karaoke is wild. I know. Oof, I am warm just hearing that. <laughs> that's so annoying. I know. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, my dose of drama today is, you know, I've been feeling a lot of feelings about Paul, the actor Paul Meskel lately in like a I'm obsessed with him kind of way. David, do you know who that is? He's in Normal People on no. Hulu. Did you watch that show? Normal People? No. Based on the Sally Rooney book, Normal People? um it's we, we love it though we love we love we love terrific but basically he's gonna be doing a streetcar named desire on the west end this winter and i think it's time for me to go back to london to see this because that's my like my yeah. that's like my favorite play honestly i love a tennessee williams i love it during the summer but it'll be great it'll be great and i think it's time to make our grand return and even this talk about like you know going to edinburgh edinburgh do both they're close you wanted london and in scotland that'd be yeah, great fun also not wait i have to give a very very i'm gonna be so quick a plug my friend tyler martin just wrote a play that we did at soho playhouse and it was a prequel to streetcar named desire but queer themed so blanche was like a gay man and it was like explaining what happened with her husband sleeping with men and like why, she, like what drove her to show up at Stella's doorstep. He's brilliant. He's great. I love it. It's, it's literally, cool it's, it's, it's wicked, but like, yeah, exactly. But make it queer. Is Wicked the book kind of queer? I feel like it is. But anyway. Um, I mean, anything Wizard of Oz is as gay as it gets, right? <laughs> it's Judy Garland. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Um, that play sounds really good. It is. And I think hopefully there will be another life of it. But it's so like, he's someone who like really loves Streetcar like you. And so there's a bunch of Easter eggs that I didn't catch for a long time, but it's great. That sounds good. Well, I think Paul Meskel will will slay the um, the Stanley role, but you know. Anyway, who's Blanche? Who's Blanche? You know, I didn't know it. The other actors. Okay. Is that bad? Maybe like, it's not been announced yet. They were announced. Oh, okay. I know. Oof. What if I was like, yeah, I'm Mitch and I've been waiting for you to acknowledge it, but now it's awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, we'll see. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. And everyone, oh, so and you guys, I do recommend Normal People, though, the Hulu show and the book. It's really good. I have many friends who love that. Yeah, I should. David, do you have a dose of drama today? It is fun. Okay. I I know you guys, I've listened to this pod and I've heard you guys talk about Drag Race. Mm -hmm. And I know we're past All-Star 7, but I have thoughts to say about the finale, the reaction, the format, and what I suggest we should do from now on. You've come okay. to the right place. I'm ready. Good. Okay. So we need to get rid of Lip Sync for the Crown and here is why. And I have a solution. I'm not just like shit talking it. Okay. The problem started with Bob the Drag Queen in season eight. Let me explain. They filmed that season the same year that they filmed All-Stars 2, where they were still figuring out how it worked. So season eight is the shortest season. Yes. They only had eight challenges. 
and he won three, like basically half of them. He, it was the Bob show. He wrecked. Like I love kimchi, but everyone knew Bob was going to win. So when it got to the finale, no one cared about the finale because everyone knew Bob was going to win. So then the producers were like, okay, we need to mix this up. So people actually watch the finale. Let's implement this lip sync for the crown thing at the end. We can fudge it if we need to, to make whoever we want win, but like, let's do it. So people were like, oh, the competition's still going. So then they do. And out of nowhere, Sasha Bloor happens and it changes everything where even though they probably wanted Shea Kool-Aid to win, there's literally no way you could edit that where like she didn't win. It was incredible. Right. And it was like the highest rated show they'd ever had. So then they were like, yeah. oh, we hit gold. Like this is a new format. Then to me, they've been trying to recreate the Sasha Bloor moment ever since then. And it hasn't happened. Now we have people going out on stage, just changing clothes, wearing nine layers and like butterflies dying. Like it's stupid. <laughs> Fast forward to All-Star 7, spoiler if you've not watched it, where we have one of the most fan favorite queens ever objectively do the best and she wins and people are mad about it. Mm -hmm. That means you have a problem with lip sync for the crown. It would be like if, if like Dylan and I were auditioning for a play and like the whole audition, it was like you have to do Shakespeare and Chekhov and five dialects and then you have to sing opera and then you have to belt and then you have to do ballet and tap, all this stuff. And then at the final callback, it's just about tap. Mm -hmm. Like, it's stupid. Why is just one element? So what I propose is that save the variety show for the very end. Just have, like, the, the final four, whoever is left standing, do it. Everyone gets, like, 20, 30 minutes, and they can do whatever they want. Then it's not just about lip sync. You can, you can lip sync. You can do comedy. You can do impressions. You can do whatever you want. And then it's, like, an actual ultimate drag showcase at the end. And then no one's mad. That's what I think they should do. I love this idea. No one has proposed this idea. Not only is this idea great, but the way you can pinpoint the where it went wrong yes. is incredible. You're right. I mean, you're totally right. It, it is weird that Jinx is one of the best that we have and people were mad. When she did the best, like no one was like, oh, Monet was better the whole season. They are like, Monet won the lip sync. But I'm like, that's two and a half minutes versus like the, you know, how many up 12 episodes right, like right so that means there's a problem with the format and i hope they will change it but we'll see you know and and what they tried with season 14's finale i don't think was any improvement over the lip sync wait what did they do the can crown. you remind me it was that they oh, had right. each queen perform a an original number which they had done they've done that in the past but this was like the first time where it actually counted it wasn't just for fun right and then it's weird because it's like you are writing those songs for the queens. Right. So like, <laughs> what if you write them a bad song? Then they're like fierce. I'm going to lose, you know. Which they did do that in season eight, seven and eight, I believe. In the finale, the queens all had original songs. And right. they were odd. Yeah. And it felt like it was more for the show than like it affected the outcome. Yeah. It wasn't like. You know, when Kim Chi did Fat Femme and Asian, they were going to be like, okay, now, well, now she gets the crown. Right. Like, you know, it was more just for the spectacle. But where do you think Drag Race is going, David? Do you feel like it's going to like be like Survivor level where it's got like another, you know, 20 seasons to go and the fans are going to still make it appointment viewing? I think, here's my prediction. I think it will continue to be popular because it is such a, it's like the queer show. Yeah. But I think people will begin to get fatigued and disinterested with how much, in my opinion, Rue is sort of checked out and it's very like producer fixed in a lot of ways. But then I I see like a revolution for it coming when I know this is blasphemous, when Rue steps down, because in my perfect world, 
then you get like five alumni to be the host and you get specialties in each thing. So like Raja to do like the fashion stuff and Bianca to do the comedy and Alaska can be there, you know, Alyssa, Alyssa Edwards to do dance, stuff like that. And then I think it'll have like a second wind of people being like, oh, this is fresh. They understand like what the drag market is like, what we want. And that's my hope that it gets like a second wind after having a dip. Yes. I think you're right. I think it will. And and what better way to, you know, have a show that's led by the most famous drag queen in the world than these famous drag queens that it birthed, you know, like, I think it's a great totally. idea. I think they should do it. It will be interesting. Who do you think would be like the air replacement? If they had to go one, who do you think it would be? I had always imagined it being Bob over the last few years, because I think Bob really does love Drag Race. Yes. And was maybe the first super fan winner coming in with all the references and knew exactly how to play the game. And But I think that Bob also has a lot of issues with the franchise. And I don't listen to Sibling Revelry with Monet or as Vivian called uh-huh. her, Monet. But <laughs> I love when Vivian would say Monet. I, I know that there's like tea and stuff that's spilled there that's like... It's not full like Willem where it's like just trashing RuPaul. <laughs> but it is, it, it'll be like the producers wanted this, whatever. But she's like supportive of Rue. So she's kind of... Yeah. Yeah, I thought for a while it could be her. I thought about Alaska. I feel like recently the person who's most similar to like Rue in the 90s is like Simone. Yeah. She doesn't have as much of like a big personality like a Bob. And I wonder if Simone's reign didn't care. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was just caught up in a lot of other things. I don't feel like I know Simone as well, but I guess I could have said the same thing about Jada Essence until she was on Mm -hmm. this all-star, all winners. And I mean, we all fell in love with her again, if we didn't the first time, like. I fell in love with her way more. Mm -hmm. I always liked her, but all-stars I really, it's interesting now of like a lot of it, like to have success after Drag Race, it's not about like you know simone's like a good lip syncer and looks but it's really like can you just have a mic in front of you for 30 minutes and entertain a crowd like trixie Trixie. or bob or you know like it's it's a lot of it is now just like the personality yes which is not as much simone is trixie the head judge of the queen singing show she's one of four four. and i wouldn't say i mean maybe michelle's the head judge because she sits in the simon cowell seat but like (laughs) the simon cowell seat yeah i don't think i do think it's funny that rude shows is allowing a drag queen to lead this other thing which it just shows that rue really does admire trixie i mean trixie could honestly be a, a successor too but i know the only weird thing i literally wrote out a bracket of like pros and cons for all these people once And the only weird thing about Trixie is, is like, she wasn't that great on the show. And she never and wants so to do it her, again. Right. I think she could host it, but it'd be weird of like her critiquing someone who's this 25-year-old brilliant drag queen. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but you sucked. Right. But, you know, not sucked, but. My brain yeah. is working in overtime trying to figure out who could replace Rue. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I think it should be five. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go Alaska to just kind of walk out and be like, this week, whatever, mm-hmm. like not much. It's sort of like the hostess. Yeah. Then I want Bob, Bianca, Raja. Alyssa would be fun. So what you're about, going what with a- mostly you're going with mostly winners here. What about Jinx? Oh, I take it back. She could okay, bring like fun get- energy and be silly, you know? Has to be Jinx. Okay, I'm gonna go Jinx, Alaska, Bob, Raja, Bianca. Okay. Wow. All winners. 
All yeah. winners, we're, we're missing like a dancing queen performer. I know. Or just have Alyssa type. come choreograph all the stuff. Yes, yeah. she did do Always that. There. She did on season 10 or 11. Yeah. I, I think 10 came in. They could in bring her in, yeah. Choreographed okay. a musical. I want to watch this show. I would love watching that show. And like they could, and then it would be more of like a democracy on the panel and they could like fight with each other. It'd be great. Mm-hmm. God, I could seriously talk draggers with you. <laughs> so when we, when we meet officially, we're going to have to just chat. At, uh, at Uptown Garrison. I was going to say that. Yes, I'll, I'll take you guys to Uptown Garrison. We'll solve all of the drag race problems. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those moments I literally forgot that we're recording a podcast just now. We <laughs> look and it's like two in the morning. I know. <laughs> I've missed I'm my like, show. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, well listen, you've got a show to get to and everyone needs to follow you. Follow your page for the Lip Sync Fables, right? It's a, yes. Just subscribe on YouTube. Yes, yeah, so subscribe on YouTube. You can just type in the Lip Sync Fables. And then I'm on Instagram, David F. Gal. Yes, but check out the, the YouTube series. You know, the more subscribers and views we get, the better chance we have to continue to make them, which has been really fun. So, yes, well, I and love we'll it. include all of that in the, in the you know, the below section. Right. <laughs> Everyone knows that it's there. Um, David, you have been such a delight. Everyone should follow us too. We're at the Drama Podcast, Connor at Connor McDowell, at Dylan McDowell. David, I'll see you at Uptown Garrison. And yes. Connor, I will see you next time. Drama. Drama.